Blog Talk Radio. It's not the place you think for an ex-offender is getting a second chance, but for one former inmate, the Dirksen Federal Building has not only given him a second chance at life, but a new beginning. CBS 2's Suzanne LeMignot explains in this original report. This is really... At age 54, James Howes has spent nearly a decade of his life in and out of state and federal prisons. Committing bank fraud and bank robbery, he had one goal, feeding his nearly 30-year-long drug addiction. Staying clean is not just from abstaining from drugs, it's a mindset. I was determined to have a second chance. The same place that took away my freedom and my liberty are now assisting me to gain them back. Howes works as a supply clerk at the Dirksen Federal Building. He's in the James B. Moran Second Chance Reentry Program. The program, named for the late U.S. District Judge, provides Howes with mentoring and coaching for his new job and counseling and intense supervision to keep his life on track. How big of an impact does employment have on recidivism? All the studies show that employment reduces recidivism by 50%. It gives you some respect. You can go to your family members and be a provider again. I am extremely grateful. It was hard for them to give a lot of faith in me, but they did. And uh, I've never looked back. Suzanne Lomignot, CBS 2 News. Chief Judge Castillo says he wants 100 Chicago companies to step up and follow the court's example. Right now he has 12 former inmates qualified. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen of America and all of our listeners around the world. This is AJC Radio. Tonight we visit a very serious issue. They call it reentry, and that is for prisoners coming out of prison and having an opportunity for success in society. Tonight, AJC Radio talks about this issue. Folks, buckle in. AJC Radio kicks off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams, and Lisa Stewart, who will be joining us remotely tonight. Uh, I'll tell you what, folks, this is going to be a humdinger, if you will, uh, the importance of reentry into society. Uh, a lot of our inmates out there have, uh, who are trying to get a second chance to be successful and do the things that are necessary, the reentry programs are absolutely critical. Tonight, we'll also be talking about Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, a program, prison release jumpstart program. And I'll tell you what, I've had an opportunity to talk to Pastor Banks in regards to this uh, program. Uh, I'll tell you what, they don't get much better than this. We're going to introduce that tonight as well as hopefully getting this program on Capitol Hill as Congress is, is really talking and discussing uh, the importance of reentry. And we're going to get into that conversation as well. Uh, I'll tell you what, this is something that uh, definitely works, something that's going to be a positive impact, I think, tonight. Uh, without reentry, you simply have thrown inmates and prisoners away and have not given them the second chances that they need. Uh, before we go there, our disclaimer is this. We are not attorneys, and a just cause does not provide legal advice. I'm going to ask you to contact your personal legal advisor for your legal needs. 
Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a Just Cause or AJC Radio. As always, I want to give you a very special thank you uh, for tuning in and tuning to spend a little time with us this evening. We appreciate that. Uh, also, ladies and gentlemen, this will be the last live show of the year here on AJC Radio as the holidays are approaching. Uh, and out of, re- out of respect for all that's going on during this holiday season, uh, AJC Radio uh, will be also will be playing actual the best of the best of 2016. Uh, we'll be c- compiling those shows together. Uh, you'll still be able to tune in if you have an opportunity as you travel uh, and get ready for the festive holiday season, the end of 2016. Can you believe it, Dennis? We are at the end very closely of another year as we continue to bring this fight for justice to the world. Exactly. It's been very, very quick. I mean, uh, this this year has really passed, but I'll tell you, we had some wonderful shows. Uh, tonight is going to be a great show, and uh, I really look forward to uh, talking about, you know, them, you know, people getting out of prison and getting back into the system, you know, being able to get jobs, and I, I think this well, is going to be a great show. Well, I think the problem is a lot of people are not doing anything in regards to helping these inmates. Look, we're not going to give you a place to live. Uh, you know, you can't get that. You can't get a job. Those things are under discussion right. because at the end of the day, uh, you're talking about the number of incarcerated people in this nation uh, that have the ability, and, and they said it very clear on the Prison Sentencing Reform Act uh, that was done in Congress uh, not too long ago, said, look, the majority of the people in prison will be back in society. What are we doing as a society uh, to address those issues and to address those needs? So uh, we're excited about that, and uh, I'll tell you what, folks, this is going to be a good one. We're going to also send a shout-out. Uh, in regards, check our website, the Christmas House, uh, famously known in this community. Uh, I'll tell you what, you want to definitely drive by there. We'll have things posted on the website as the holiday season gets ready to get underway. The Christmas House people travel from all over. Uh, I like to say just the United States. Some are coming out of the country, uh, from out of the country to see that display of lights. And I'll tell you what, if you thought last year was something, Stand by is the best advice I can give you because this year we'll be uh, raising the bar definitely higher with that. We'll give you more information on that uh, on our website again as, as this is the last live show uh, of the year and uh, we wish everybody the best. Uh, Cliff, as we get into the reentry issues, uh, we know there are certain states that have a lot more issues with people coming in and where crime may be higher or, or whatever the case is. Uh, as you'll hear tonight in these clips tonight, and I know how important it is that second chances, third, fourth, fifth chances, especially given to those folks who are seriously uh, serious about doing something different in their life and getting on that right path. Yeah, because when you look at the entire, um, you know, the system, when a person gets out, in in most states, you know, if you have a felony, you you can't get, uh, you know, you, you can't get any help. They won't give you a place to stay, won't give you a job, like I said, you, you can't get uh, aid like food stamps or anything like that. So what is a person supposed to do when – now, you paid your debt to society. But now when you come back to society and say, you know, I've learned my lesson, uh, I want to do what's right, and society does not offer you a chance, and the only thing, the only thing that those people end up seeing is – uh, a, another act of crime, which takes them back and starts the cycle right. all over again. So if we don't, if we don't change, and these are laws that have been in place for you know from back in the 40s and 50s. So if we don't go forward and you know, like we say all the time, go out there and vote, push Congress, push your local legislators to change these laws. Just like you know, they finally got on the ballot 
you know, I was talking to you about this a few days ago, Lamont, where they finally have on like the back of your the back of your uh, your mail in ballot for voting where they're saying we'll take out the clause on the 13th Amendment that say that prisoners are slaves. That right. they're finally dealing with, I mean, the 13th Amendment, you got to think about it. President Lincoln signed the 13th Amendment. It was supposed to abolish slavery unless you are convicted of a crime. There, this is 2016, and this is just getting to the point where this, is, this clause is uh, up for, you know, vote. To be taken out of the 13th Amendment. Wow. But those are the type of things that we as the citizens have to push for, it has to be brought to the attention. And that's what we as AJC Radio are here for, to have it brought to your attention, your listening audience, that a person that gets out and has paid their debt and wants to be a viable uh, part of society, you've got to give them a chance. There's got to be some type of programs in place that says, we will give you a head start, we'll give you a, a leg up, something to help you to get back on your feet. No, absolutely. And again, these are very, very important issues. William, your thoughts on this being from uh, where you're from in that in that area of the country? I'll let you tell that. But uh, how important is this? As folks need to get back uh, back to work and at least an opportunity to uh, salvage their lives after such issues. Well, I think it's you know everyone has mentioned the fact that people need second chances, and when you don't give them an opportunity, you you know when they come out. They've learned things. They've, they've, they've purposed themselves and say, you know what, I'm not going to do this again. Uh, they've broadened their horizons, you know, spent some time, I guess, taking classes and things like that. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity for them in, in prison to, you know, better themselves. But when, you, when they get out, you know, there's nothing for them. And, well, there's, you know, there's doors shut for them, on them, uh, housing. You know, they ask, you know, are you a felon? They will not, you know. There's no places to stay, and, and it's, it's really a hard or, – or let me say it like this. It's a disheartening situation when you get out, and that's what you're facing. You're facing, you know, I don't know where I'm going to work. I don't know where I'm going to stay just because people, you know, turn their back on you, and, and, they, and there are no opportunities for them. Well, the sad part about it is the prison system, the prison system itself is set up to even enhance crime behind the wall. As far as programs and all of those things that they say are available, you'll find a lot of those so-called programs don't even exist. I agree. Uh, And, again, I speak from firsthand knowledge on that, that, uh, you know, they want to give you a birthday cake and some punch and congratulate you for getting your GED or whatever schooling you get. But guess what? Nobody's going to hire me. So what good is the cake and punch? It's not going to do me any good. So we're going to get into that conversation uh, tonight as well. And uh, folks, I'll tell you what, we're going to be also joined by Malcolm C. Young. Uh, he's the gentleman uh, from for Prison Reentry Strategies at the uh, Blum Legal Clinic. Uh, and he had some concerns about uh, prisoners getting out and not being able to uh, find work. He's going to be joining us at the top of the hour. Uh, but joining us at the bottom of the hour, Karen Garrison, uh, high school educated cosmetologist over the past 20 years, has transformed herself into both an advocate for reform and sympathetic guide to the criminal justice system. And I'll tell you what, she's about all about reentry. We're going to be hearing from her and getting her thoughts on the importance of this issue. Joining us also tonight that stopped by to say hello, we can't help but recognize him. Amos Clark uh, stopped by here tonight, and uh, glad to see him. Uh, also for down there from Louisiana, a lot of issues down there uh, with, with a lot of crime issues, a lot of issues. Uh, where people in Louisiana are suffering as a, as a result uh, of a lot of issues. And uh, I'll tell you what, he's given us some insight on what's going on down there in Louisiana. 
Ladies and gentlemen, on the side of the break, we're coming back. We're coming live from Colorado Springs. Temperature right now, 77 degrees, mostly sunny. New York City, 47, some light showers falling over there. Our nation's capital, 65, some thunderstorms uh, in that area. But in L.A., 78 degrees and mostly sunny. Won't you stay with us as we get ready for the final show of 2016, reentry, the importance of making a difference. We'll be right back here on AJC Radio. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. One eight five 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 two nine four two five two. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. Boys are never going to approach you. Can you help me reshape my attitudes towards women? You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong. 
guys, I'm Jordan Sparks. I'm Chase Crawford. Hey, what's up? It's Usher. Hi, I'm Rachel Dawson. I'm Hayden Christensen. I'm Peyton Manning. Hey, we're Fall Out Boy. I'm Dude Archuleta. I'm Corbin Blue. I'm Kristen Bell. And we're the Jonas Brothers. Do something good for your community. Reuse bags and bottles and always recycle. Help us collect a million pounds of food. Help people prepare for natural disasters. Do something about homelessness. Anyone could be a rock star in their community. So then do something. Do something. Do something. Do something. Visit dosomething.org to find out how. And welcome back in to AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, Lisa Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and William Williams. And uh, talking earlier in regards to the reentry, the need of that uh, and the purpose of that is absolutely critical as we face a criminal justice system that has really left inmates and, and, and uh, prisoners forgotten. Uh, and, you know, you wonder about the return, people going back to prison over a period of time, uh, is because we don't have an adequate system in place that supports the success of inmates and prisoners, those that are getting out of prison. And I'll tell you what, from being wrongfully convicted and being in that situation myself, uh, I was fortunate that I had a family that cared enough uh, to support me, uh, to make up the way and to help me in a very difficult situation. The problem is a lot of people don't have that family structure uh, to do that. So, uh, and I had, you know, people say to me, man, I have nowhere to go out here. There was a gentleman friend of mine uh, who I was uh, in there with, had done 25 years, and he did everything he could. His sister worked actually for the federal government in Washington, D.C., uh, had offered uh, to say, look, he, he, my brother can come and stay with me. We'll get him a job. You, you're talking about a, a really sure foundation someone who has a good head on their shoulders, a very nice young lady. And do you know the state of Colorado denied his parole plan, saying he could not go there with his sister, that he had to go back to the county in which he fell out of, which was nothing but farmland, and that's it. No jobs really there that he could do. Really setting the stage for this young man. And he said to me, he said, Lamont, I'm mighty afraid. Because what they're doing to me, I'm going to end up right back here. That is the most tragic thing. And that's what we have to address tonight on this show. Uh, I believe the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, as we talked about earlier, the Jumpstart program under the leadership of Pastor Rose Banks started participating in the Federal Bureau of Prisons volunteer program over 10 years ago. During the early years in the program, volunteers noted the significant impact uh, that the Christ-centered program sponsored by the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church had on the lives of countless men uh, within the prison system. Studies show uh, that ex-offenders with closer family relationships, stronger support systems, and fewer negative dynamics and influences are more likely to find jobs, make a positive contribution to the community, and are less likely to use drugs and alcohol, thus contributing to a lower rate of recidivism. Uh, Dennis, your thoughts on that? And, and again, we, we're going to be highlighting some points of, of the Jumpstart program by Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, uh, led by Pastor Rose Banks. You're talking about being on time and on target. Uh, this program is critical. Your thoughts? Oh, yeah, because that's awesome. I mean, because it looks out uh, for the, whole, the, the holistic uh, part of that person. I'm talking about as far as looking for a job, uh, giving them a place to stay. Uh, putting, uh, give, giving them some, uh, you know, putting some, uh, putting some religion in their life, you know, some, some control. 
and keeping them away from, you know, people that are negative, you know, negative imp- inputs like, you know, somebody, you know, constantly going out with somebody drinking and stuff like that. But you're right. If you give someone the opportunity to succeed, if you allow them, get them in a position where they can get employment, where they have a place to stay, because most of the time when they get out, they have nothing. They don't. They end up going to the shelter, yep. and then they go to the shelter for a little while. They try to find a job, and again, we deal with the uh, felon. You know, you got a felony, so very unlikely they're going to get a job that pays enough uh, to allow them to have, you know, a sort of a, a at least a decent life. So well, what do they do? They go back. Well, it says here in recent years, Pastor Banks and several members of the Jumpstart uh, actually went through conducting many hours of research and spoken with many individuals who are on staff at correctional facilities. Uh, and these meetings and research allowed the team to gain great, greater insight to the current state of affairs and, uh, and assesses that what is needed to build a solid reentry program. Uh, recently, the pastor and Jumpstart members organized a meeting with several prison chaplains some years ago. And at the end of the meeting, the general feeling regarding those being released from prison is this. We need to build rather than to destroy. We need to build these people yes, up yes. Uh, rather than to destroy them. The nation is failing our prison population. If we can't have an inmate come out of prison and be our neighbor, what are we doing wrong? Uh, you want to double punish these guys. Everybody has to have a place to live. And no matter where you, you know, I mean, you have to be willing to say, look, but that's the problem with society. These are the castaways of society. They don't count. They don't matter. But I'll tell you what, many of them matter and don't even go into the conversation about the wrongfully convicted. Wow. Those people have, that have done nothing to actually be behind bars and to be treated as this, uh, getting out of prison, even when they paid a debt they never owed, uh, is a whole other conversation. Since prison makes actually a person worse, should we be alarmed when they are released and they commit even worse crimes? We have a problem internally and externally. We, don't, we need to get a reentry system, but we need a foundation to start within the prison system, within these institutions, to say, let's set the foundation. Let's make people believe that they are somebody, that they do count, that, yeah, you made a mistake, but let's build upon this and get you in a situation where you can at least believe that I have a future. Uh, exactly. William, your thoughts? You know, what you're talking about is rehabilitation. You're really talking about true rehabilitation. Okay, so, so if you are in prison, you know, giving them alternatives, you know, helping them, really helping them get on a solid foundation and equipping them to do something. So when they get out, opportunities are there for them for a better life. But like you said, you pointed out before the break, this, the, I think some of the, the programs that are offered to them are not really offered or jokes that are in the system. They really they really are put back out, not equipped to even face what will, you know, the changes in society that have happened since they've been in. So now they're they're coming out, and there's nothing for them. And to, to address one of the things, like you said, your friend that that went to, yeah, you know, I think you said like a rural area, farm country. You know, I grew up in the South. A lot of those places that you know years ago there were factories, they've closed down. So a lot of the jobs have gone. They're left. So if you were to return back to those areas, there's no jobs at all. I mean, very, very, very little jobs. So these guys are going back to places that they're said they know there are no jobs there. There's no hope for for a turnaround or establishing a good quality of life. And so, you know, really what you're talking about is giving them, you know, a full plan come and, and actually giving them an opportunity no. for rehabilitation. Well, yeah. Jumpstart seems to be the, in my opinion, I've read through this uh, program 
Uh, I'll tell you what. And again, this is by a church. Uh, Just Cause supports any organization that is doing anything in the community to impact uh, the, the criminal justice system and making it better. Colorado Springs Fellowship seems to be leading the way uh, in that initiative. And we'll be talking a lot more about uh, that program again as we get into this program. Uh, and, and I think one point is, good, is made is a good point that was made by the uh, Jumpstart program in Colorado Springs Fellowship Church that Jumpstart is not against punishment of the guilty. However, there is much work to be done to reduce the impact of the destructive nature of prison. So, you know, you know, when I was a little a youngster and I got in trouble, you know, and, and mom had to take the belt out and say, you're not going to do that. Uh, we're not against that. Uh, it made me remember when I got ready to do something mischievous again as a youngster. Well, I remember mom called me in and uh, we had a discussion between the belt and, and my rear end. Uh, I'll tell you what, it brings the point about punishment right. we understand punishment is needed it has to happen but i think that has been abused by a very imperfect system uh those are those are situations that uh that we definitely got to look at uh it goes further to say jumpstart does not ignore the accountability factor uh, those who were guilty crimes should definitely be held accountable for their actions but upon serving out their sentence and being released they should not be placed in situations that facilitate anger. What that means very clearly, you put these, and I'll tell you what, in the state of Colorado, they will parole you to the shelter in Denver and violate you for being in contact with other felons. Now, how do you do that? Wait, wait, (laughs) wait. (laughs) You get out, you're on parole, well, condition of parole, can't be in contact, close proximity, with other felons. They take you to the shelter where they have taken multiple felons. Multiple felons and say, This is we're dropping you off here. You're now on parole. Uh this is a place that you can, you know, basically they'll give you somewhere to stay and you can get started. So they do this with say ten people in a week. And then violate your parole saying you're in contact with other felons. That's exactly what they do. Now, how wow. does that make any how Listen, does that begin to make sense? I had a I had a guy uh, doing my wrongful incarceration, had done 18 years. He said goodbye to me. He hugged me. I was moved to another prison uh, about a month later. I saw this man on the yard, and I went up to him. I said, man, what happened? He said, man, they violated my parole because I was paroled to a shelter, and I was in contact with other felons after 18 calendars. Wow. 18 calendars, that's what they call it in the, in, the, in the penitentiary. You do 18 calendar years. You parole me because I have no reentry system. I have no program that I can go to. And I, I tell you what, it broke my heart. I just went up to him and hugged him. He had six months he had to do again after 18 years. Wow. That's, that's unacceptable. I don't care how you slice that. But it, show, it shows you why reentry is so very important and uh, why it's important that, that we do something and bring it to the attention of America. Listen, if you look at the, on the faces of those people who were wrongfully convicted, and they did 10 years, they did wow. 20 years, they did 30 years. And I remember I looked up Ryan Banks, the one that did six years, for a false accusation that was admitted on tape that he never did. And I remember him 
leaning over that table, tears pouring down his face. Lost all opportunity for scholarships. He was headed to the NFL, a very predominant, good, gifted kid. Because somebody decided to do something, but when he got out of prison, guess what? The mark was against him. In spite, and he was wrongfully convicted. We live in a very, very dangerous time in this country right now uh, that we are losing the human spirit of a nation. And it just, it just absolutely cannot be tolerated. Um, Colorado Springs Fellowship Prison Release Jumpstart Program uh, will focus on several areas to assist the previously incarcerated in their quest to become fully reindoctrinated into everyday life outside of prison. The Prison Release Jumpstart Program will provide support and encouragement to help program participants climb out of otherwise hopeless and helpless situations to achieve strength, hope, faith, and success. Jumpstart's focus is not limited to, but will include a minimum in the following areas, spiritual growth and counseling, life skills, reentry preparation, reconnecting with families, educational enrichment, vocational training, employment assistance, and accommodation sponsorship. That sounds like a true gift. We're going to get more into that program. Colorado Springs Fellowship is kicking off. But right now, we're joined by Karen Garrison. I'll tell you what, she's a pioneer in this area and uh, doing some things that I'll tell you that will impact tomorrow's future. And uh, Ms. Garrison, thank you so much for joining us. Are you with us? Yes, thank you for having me. You're very, very welcome. And I'll tell you, we're honored to have you and that you've taken some time out of your evening. As we've been talking, may I call you Karen? Oh, of course. Okay, Karen. Uh, as we've been talking about the importance of reentry, talking a little bit about Colorado Springs Fellowship Church here locally uh, that's doing some things to try to bring hope to the hopeless, if you will, in very dire situations. Uh says here that you work day for a D.C.-based nonprofit group that fights laws dating back to the 1980s, mandating long mandatory minimum sentences for crimes, uh, particularly drug offenses involving cocaine, crack cocaine, and other activists say uh, that have been applied uh, very, I'd say, unfairly to African-Americans. But I'm not going to read your resume. I'm going to have you the opportunity to, re- to introduce yourself to our listeners. And, and Karen, talk to us about this important issue and the great things you're doing to try to make a difference. Well, you know, I got the name Mommy Activist because my sons call me Mommy. And when I was first introduced to ever speaking, I think 1998 or 99, they said I was an activist. And I didn't. I said, wait a minute, is that what I am? So I looked it up, and then they just kept calling me activist. So I decided to be Mommy Activist because that's exactly what I, what I was. I was a mother that was an activist for my sons because of their injustice. You know, and, uh, and the thing about it with sentencing reform and things like that, people don't realize then, in 98 it was not very new but it was only 20 years old and it it probably was a new baby compared to it takes maybe 40 years sometimes to make a big difference and when I started out you know doing things in uh, criminal justice and civil rights and human rights issues and supporting other people in the things that you know come along with it I realized that you know, you have to change these laws. So we begin to, you know, I begin to fit in and get in places that I never thought I would. And that's what I do, trying to um, represent people that are in prison that can't speak for themselves, but also bring along other people that can speak for them just as well as I do. So that's basically what I do, you know, and try to keep the state and federal prisoners uh, aware 
and their families and like the um, professionals and getting on shows like this and also my mommy activists and sons radio show to make a difference in a responsible way by, you know, making sure that people know about the bills and the transitioning and what we used to call reentry that never worked for us. We call new entry now because there are new ways of people transitioning home. No, absolutely. And I'll tell you, we applaud you tonight for what you're doing. Uh, you know, this is something that's critically important and I, again, you know, however you became an activist, uh, hey, that's, that's a good story. I'll tell you that. Whatever gets people involved to do something and to do something that really will impact people, I see that you've done quite a bit. Uh, and, again, you were motivated. It was personal. Is that right? Right, exactly. And it, it, if it hadn't that. hit home, I probably would never have been this interested because I wouldn't have believed in my lifetime that these things went on with people. So, Ms. Garrison, I mean, Karen, excuse me, um, mm-hmm. how important is it? And this is what we say all the time on this program. Nobody understands injustice till they live it. Nobody right. sees it think, oh, no, we got the greatest system in the world. Everything's just good. Uh, everything's good as sliced bread. But I'll tell you right now, we found that that's not the case. And when it hits home, it hit home for me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was affected by it. My, uh, my brother, brother, uh, David Banks, wrongfully convicted, fighting to get him free. And six other guys that were done wrong by a system. Uh, but then when you start seeing the failure of success, you know, right. uh, of people that can't get a job. How do you – how do you – penalize me and say you can't hire me when I can work as hard as the next person. Maybe some right. choices were made that may not have been made, but I, my understanding was is that we were a forgiving nation. That hmm. everybody afforded a second chance. Sometimes a third chance. Is a oh, sorry. I thought I cut oh, it no. off. You okay? Yeah. <laughs> I thought I cut it off. <laughs> okay. But uh, this, these are one of these things, Karen, and I want your thoughts can you tell me from your experience in working in this field and dealing with people? And, you know, I'll tell you what, and I'll tell you this, and you give me your thoughts on it. I was an apartment manager some years ago, and I had people that come in, and, and they, they would tell me, they said, Mr. Banks, I have a, you know, I had a little rough, rough time early in life, man. And he's sitting in my office with his wife and three or four kids that every place that he went to, nobody would give him a place to live. And I said, look, you pay the rent, you can live. And I said, go check the apartment out. Here you go. Because you know what? It doesn't matter what mistake. He's got kids here. He's, right. trying, he's trying to say, will somebody extend a hand to me? And I didn't hesitate to do it. I'll tell you what, and this isn't a pat on the back. My occupancy rate in that facility was 96% year round. Uh, hmm. And you know what? I didn't worry about that. You know what? If you can pay the rent and build your life. And this man ultimately got a good job. Him and his wife ended up having a house built after about a year at the complex. His kids were in a good school. Don't tell me giving and extending a hand doesn't help. Your thoughts on that, Karen, is as you have to see dire situations from time to time. I mean, well, you know, you're a rare person. A lot of people with housing, they don't want that. They don't want to be bothered. They want to give a break. A lot of times when people come to get the housing and they check the, you know, they see that someone is a returning citizen and they feel that whatever their crime was, because now you can Google somebody, you see something, you may see their crime and you feel a certain way about it. And then you don't want to give them a second chance. But, you know, like the like it's, like they say, you know, if you can be the first one to cast a stone, 
you know, no one's perfect, and people do deserve a second chance. But coming home, that's the main thing is housing. They can't. They can't get, and if they were have family members that were living in public housing, they can't even go back there, and maybe they've lost their housing. A lot of times I see when people go to the halfway houses, say here in D.C., they go to the halfway house, and they have to find a living circumstance, you know, something that the parole, I mean, probation officer will approve, and when their time is up in the halfway house and you go, they send the people to the shelter. Wow. You know, and that's like... Uh, some another whole nother country, I'd say, you know, for housing and stuff like that. Trying to wait to get on a list, and the list is for is just so long till people give up. You know, they yeah. give up, and that's sometimes where people are sent back, mainly because of the housing. But if there's proper care before they come out, I'm not saying that it all works. Like you say, everyone thinks we have a perfect system, but that system wasn't meant to help everyone. You oh, well, know, and, then, and when they come, go ahead, Karen. And when they come home, what they had on paper is not existing. Right. You know, it's 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 non-existent. You know, like when my sons came home, you know, they had me and we were all planning, but we planned for four years, and then the law changed. Lawrence came home in two. Housing wasn't the situation, but then it's the other things, the job and the different things. And he had a, a degree from the street, but they still look back and see that he had been to prison. But, you know, you you kind of use things that you use and people that you know and you get a break, but everybody doesn't get that break. I'm still helping people the same way I was helping them, I'd say, 15 years ago when they come home to find a job and they have, you know, clear, cleared themselves is what you would say, that, you know, they paid their dues and they can't get a job. And how are you going to keep housing if you can't get a job? You know, and the system's not working to help you do that. You'll be homeless and you're in the shelter, you are homeless. You yeah, know, and the only the the thing about it, I think about people that come home that have kids that they can't go stay with because they would have honor uncle or somebody that can't house them, and so they still have that that same uh, situation where they can't fit into the family set, and some of them don't, some of them re-enter, you know, some of them go back because of that, because the system really is not working with, it's not a real, it's not, I think it doesn't have realistic measures, and you got some organizations far and few between that do exactly what they say they do for people returning home. And, you know, uh, another part of the system that's really uh, just just tragic and um you know there's there's really no word to say for it. the the halfway houses because they put mm. you in a halfway house and then they tell you you got to have a job to pay to live in the halfway house and then you know you don't get a job for a month maybe two months you're 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 uh you know a, a payment in the rears and then every time you get a check they take all of your money to pay your back uh payment you never get caught up and and it's it's like you you're supposed to be there for six months and you can't leave until you have paid them every dime that you owe them. You're not making enough to make ends meet, and so the cycle continues. You have that right, and then with those who are wrongfully convicted, that when they get out, there is no there is no program for the right. exile. You get out, right. and it's like well, we're, we're sorry we locked you up, but hey, we'll drop you off at the bus station. And, uh, you know, we'll give you enough for a bus ticket where you're going. And then there is nothing else. If that person have, has, has lost their, their family ties or anything, then what do they do? And until their name gets off paper, 
then they have the same issue of nobody wants to give them housing, nobody wants to give them a job, and then you have to fight to get your name cleared when it was the system's fault that you were locked up anyway. Yeah. And when I was listening to you earlier, you were talking about when they came home, they couldn't associate with each other. Well, in the halfway house, they're right there, and they're still associating with each other. But don't you think that sometimes if when they come home, if they could associate with each other and pull each other up, it would help? There you go. You know, like sometimes you come home, you say, I got a job at such and such a place. Why don't you, you know, so-and-so's there. Why don't you let me take you in there and speak for you because I'm working good. They'll, work, they'll, you know, realize that maybe you'll be a good employee. But it doesn't happen. You're not supposed to talk to them. You're not supposed to do all this stuff. Well, how is that? And when they want to step you back on that, they can because almost everywhere you go, somebody got some kind of record. No, true words. And I'll tell you this, uh, Karen. Uh, when I got again, mine was a wrongful conviction. I've been exonerated completely. Not one charge that sent me to prison for seven years. Not, not mm-hmm. one stuck. Just to give you a little bit of an idea. I went out mm-hmm. and applied for jobs. They're offering me, oh, we want to hire you. Can you start right away? We want to make you an offer right now. I have an offer letter in my hand saying mm-hmm. you four different jobs. And I sat back and I thought, yeah, but you're going to call me uh, about a day before I start. Hey, we found something out. Uh, and here's, yeah. the bad, here's the bad part about that is I'm exonerated. I'm exonerated. Right. And you know what they say? Oh, that's not just going to work now. I'm bringing paperwork yeah. from the court. Nah, that's just not going to work. And I happened to get a copy of the background check that they ran on me uh, at one of the organizations. And mm-hmm. you know what it said up there? Convicted what? felon. Convicted. They showed nothing about a retrial, being found not guilty. Nothing but everything about a old conviction. And that is why. And then you have to go to the court and petition the court and pay. Right. To have that removed. And then you may be on the docket for years. We had a lady on the show that was on, I believe, death row. And it took 25 years? Yes, to get her name cleared. And she was wrongfully convicted. Unbelievable. She had to fight that long to get her name cleared. And everywhere she went, it it still showed that she was a convicted felon. And that is, is, well, I was going to say the sickening part of the system, but another sickening part of the system. Because... The fact is, if you are wrongfully convicted, the day you step out, your record should be just wiped away. Hit the delete right, button. Right. Gone. It's not, it's not sealed. It's not whatever. The only part of it that should be left is the part so that you can, uh, you know, recuperate, uh, you know, get, get money for them wrongfully convicting you. But the fact that you're a felon, that should be wiped off the day that you right. step out of that, of that uh, facility. And and my thing, Karen, is, and I'm going to get your thoughts on this. We're going to take a quick break and come back and get your thoughts. Do you have a few more minutes to spend with us? Oh, sure. I'm here for to, as long as you want me to. I'm fine. We really appreciate that, Karen. And here's the thing that's crazy. If the felons have paid their debt, why can't I associate with them? Exactly. Right. Unless you're still holding. Do you understand how crazy that is? We've paid our debt, but don't you be around them when you get out. Why not? Why not? <laughs> They paid their debt. We're coming back with uh, Karen Garrison. I'll tell you what, folks, feel free to join in the conversation. 319-527-6216. 319-527-6216. We'd like to hear your thoughts on this. This is reality, folks. And I'll tell you what, it may not matter to you tonight. The little brother gets picked up and taken to jail. Hmm. Your little sister gets picked up or your mom or your dad 
I'll tell you what, we have to come together as a people, as a nation. When do we say enough is enough? We're coming back. Reentry, Karen Garrison, our guest, and we're honored to have her. We're going to continue this discussion on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio bringing the message of justice all around the world. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we extend a special invitation to you to join AJC Radio and our programming every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. We will be addressing issues that definitely shape a nation and affect America's future. We will also be dealing with members of Congress shining the spotlight on our initiative called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. You don't want to miss it, folks. Every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, AJC Radio makes a difference across the nation. We'll see you then. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time smart justice and we need your help the United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, 
the drug war had grown. And the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely, there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. And welcome back in to AJC Radio. And I'll tell you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, talking about a subject tonight that has to be addressed, reentry for our prisoners that are getting out of jail, trying to rebuild their lives. And we've had the honor tonight talking with Karen Garrison. I'll tell you, she's known as Mommy Activist, as she explained earlier, uh, and the purpose of that. And uh, one footnote we want to make clear tonight, Colorado Springs Fellowship Jumpstart Program is under construction. Uh, what that means is it is in the works of being one of probably, I believe, one of the greatest reentry programs of our time uh, that will truly make a difference. So, folks, uh, hang on, hold back the phone calls to Colorado Springs Fellowship Church right now as they are under construction in this program, but they are building on something I believe, William, is a great thing. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, there needs to be more people out there that that actually come up and sponsor a program and have something like this ready for, for inmates that are coming out to give them assistance, to give them an opportunity. And, and definitely this, this is going to be something that's going to be welcomed in the community with open arms. Well, I believe a nation across the nation and around the world. And again, stand by, stay tuned, if you will, to be continued uh, as that, uh, situ- that program gets actually implemented and in place. We'll keep you update, uh, updated on the progress of that program. And, Karen, thank you so much for coming back with us. Uh, we appreciate what you're doing. And uh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to play a clip right now regarding an organization, Vehicles for Change, the prison reentry program, talks a little bit of why they are motivated to do what they do. Karen, I want to get your thoughts on it, okay? Let's play the clip. Okay. 
I get the absolute pleasure of coming to work every single day. And it doesn't really seem like work. It's, it's an environment where there's people here that I care about. I care about their futures. I care about their families. I care about their friends. I care about the things that affect them. So I have the absolute, uh, absolute pleasure of coming in every single day to work with individuals who are self-determined to change their lives. I went to prison at the age of 19. I came out at 36, and so I spent a lot of time in prison. And having an automotive technical skill is, it is awesome. It is something that kind of gives you the ability to create a life for yourself, to earn for yourself, and to also earn for other people, to support the same people who supported you while you were incarcerated. We do all our book work first, like we have syllabuses, and like the first three syllabuses we do as far as safety, and then once we finish that, we come down into the bay, you know, and do a pre-inspection, and we work on changing oils, oil filters, you know, like over here we got the head gas, long we got to fix that brake, brake job, suspension, things of that nature, you know, might have flushed the cooling out and, you know, recycle it. These people that come to this program, they come, some of them come out of the automotive um, occupational skills training programs behind the fence? Absolutely. Most all of them come from occupational skills training from behind the fence. Um, we designed the program specifically for those individuals who take an occupational skills at the five prisons that offer automotive. Although, we do have some individuals here who did not come that route, but they all have the same level of experience and they all have a story to tell. These are not individuals who went to college, who came through whole families, who had, you know, green grass out in the yard. They've been through some very, very tough situations that most of us could never even survive. And they're still here. And they're still standing. Well, there you have it, uh, Karen. I'll tell you what, known as that program, Vehicles for Change, uh, as I got mm-hmm. an opportunity last night to actually look into what they're doing, I think it's profound. Uh, and we, I wanted to get your thoughts. They talk about these young men. I think, you know what, I don't think we take enough time to put ourselves in the shoes, if you will, of these young men, uh, women right. that are trying. You know, it's one thing if you just, you know, you're a knucklehead, you're going to get out here and just keep doing what you're doing. You have no right. intention to change. That's a whole nother conversation. Uh, but I think for the people that are willing to say, man, I need a hand up, right? Uh, make a difference. And uh, that phrase uh, coined by William Williams here a few weeks ago uh, about, you know, people need a hand up. And I think right. when you hear what Vehicles for Change is doing, um, man, they're doing some stuff. What are your thoughts about that type of, it sounds like to me that's the attitude we need in this country. And I think that's what you're doing with, with what you're doing. I think that's a good idea because it's hands-on. A lot of people aren't academic. 
you know, so you think of the practical occupation they'll have. And like these, I'm looking at Vehicles for Change, the um, website now, vehiclesforchange.org. I'm looking at it, and it tells you to donate a car. And it has a nice picture of a Honda EX uh, Civic and a guy standing there with his daughter. And it says, your car donated, your donated car creates opportunities. And when she talks about the occupational skills of auto mechanics, of, the, of those things, like changing the oil and things like that. A lot of people do this for themselves, like young guys. You see them in my neighborhood. They work on their cars as best they can. So if they were in prison and maybe they got certified, and even not, if they're, some of them are good at that, you know, but this right. is something giving them hope that you could take what you know how to do to be able to sustain yourself on the street. You know, and I think that this, I've never even seen, an, a, a, you know, an organization like this because this is absolutely on hand and tells you to donate a car. And, it would, you know, when it goes into about, it tells them what, what you do, their vision and values are really uh, impactful. Um, you know, it's a good website and what she's doing. It also lists job training. It says Center for Autom- Automotive Careers, Student Admission Criteria, and then it has the, the training for hire. CAC trainees for hire. So they give them the opportunity to know what else they can do to qualify themselves. But it doesn't seem like a hard position to fill for a guy that maybe likes cars. All You know, young guys like cars. And if they could get into something like this, they would see a future in, you know, for themselves because a lot of them see nothing. Well, you know, they see we, nothing. Yeah, and I think with problem, Karen, what we do, like, and this is perfect, focus on the positive of what these young men can do. Right. You can work on a car and get it done. You know what? I can bring a paycheck home. I can right. put food on the table for Johnny or yep. little Susie. You know, I can give a Christmas to my kids. Give me right. the opportunity to do something. I think all we want to focus on, oh, look at the mistake they made. Look at what, but right. what can they do to offer right. Right. to make a difference in our society. And, and I mean, uh, everybody wants a, a car. And if they have a car and they have a little problem, they can bring it to somebody that's that's glad to do it, that they can trust. Then you build a client because that all needs to be changed every so often. The brakes need to be changed. And you get a used car and maybe that service engine light comes on and you're like, nobody knows what to do. But one thing they have to, when they come out, they have to be qualified to use. I don't want to say qualified. They need to be tech savvy. Sure. Because everything is tech, and I don't know in the prisons that they're th- teaching. A lot of things they teach are years behind, but it's a foundation for your learning anyway. You know, it's still a foundation, but when they get home, they have all these different things, and the cell phone is su- such an amazing thing to this now, your computer. You know, so when they come home, if they can get a cell phone, they can work on a car because you can put the diagnostic software on your cell phone to see what's wrong with the car. You know, so it's so many things they need to, they can do, and when they get get into cars, they get into the tech, the technology of it, which makes it a breeze once you do, un, you know, understand it. So a lot of times coming home, I'm concerned when they are certified. Are they certified in 2016? Or are they certified from teachings from 2000? Wow, or even absolutely. 2010, you know, but but they still, nonetheless, they have if they have the the foundation and they have the motive, uh, the motivation to do sure. it. That that's a that's 75 percent of it. <laughs> oh, I agree with yeah. you. And, and these programs, they have to be about hope. I, I think yeah. a lot of times, what it is is that when when uh, you know somebody's done time, uh, 
there's this attitude of hopelessness. It's like uh, everything stacked, all the cards are stacked against me. Uh, but right. people like you and people like uh, the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church coming up with a, a new program for reentry. You know, all these different people doing things, which is awesome. I just think we need more. We have to set the stage to make sure inmates understand that there is hope out there. As right. long as we right. make sure that they understand that there's hope, then, you know, you won't have that hopelessness. You get out, you're like, wow, man, you fill out the application. Uh, just like Lamont was talking, you know, he, he, he you know, they, they hold it all the way up and all of a sudden say, hey, we're going to call you back next thing you know. Uh, sorry, sir, we can't help you. But if you can get a program that, that gives inmates the idea that there is hope, you can't. You could go so far just with that, just letting them know that, hey, we're here for you. Uh, we're going to help you get a job. We're going to help you find a place and uh, take away the hopelessness, and, and you you got a good program. You know, and to yeah. let them know, start somewhere. Start somewhere. You may not want to work at first for, uh, what, $10 an hour, but start there because that's the idea. You get started. It's a start. And then you progress. But, you know, I tell you, I mostly tell um, ladies and, you know, the gentlemen before they're coming home to try to uh, think of how they could start their own business. Because by you working for someone, you could be saving your money to do something that you think is your niche. But when you get home, sometimes what your niche was when you were 20 is not your niche at 35. So when you get home, you still have an idea of a business plan for yourself. But, you know, when you get home and you get to working around, you, that may not be it. And you find the joy in really finding what you like. Because that $10 job, after you get there and you get in the groove of going to work every day and, you know, ignoring the crazy ones and, you know, doing things you got to do and, and getting along, then you say, maybe this is what I like to do. And then you progress in salary, you know, as you go along. But it's like start somewhere because it's always hope when you're starting. If you're not starting, it's no hope at all. No, oh, absolutely. Right. And, and, you know, those programs, uh, you know, give them the sense of accomplishment. And everybody needs mm-hmm. that. You know, so when they come out, it's like, okay, if I get this sense of accomplishment, then I feel like there's something to continue for. I feel like there's something I can go after that, you know, I'm not trying to go after the street hustle. I'm going after something. Right. Legit. I'm trying to go the right way. I'm doing the right thing because I'm getting a sense of accomplishment and also, right. uh, you know, getting, getting the fruit of my labor. You know, it's not out there trying to do the, the quick thing on the street. I am I am getting a reward for what I've done. No, absolutely. Because a lot of times guys coming home, you know, they some of them have never worked, uh, as they say, nine to five. Right. But when they were in the feds, they worked uh, six to six or six yeah. to five, yeah. you know, and they got in the idea of getting up going to work, getting the lunch period, and doing things. When you get home, well, you can open it up a little bit. You don't have to get up as early. You don't have to do some of these things. But they still have the idea in their mind and that regimen of getting up at 4.30 or 5 is going to stick with them for a long time. And, you know, they get to realize that how easy it is to really work. When they stand on the corner, I give them all the idea. When you stand on the corner and the police ride by, you don't have to wonder anymore, are they going to come back because you just sold something to an undercover or they sold what you did and you got drugs in your pocket, they're going to come back and arrest you. Of course, now there are more fears if the police ride by when they come back or anything that will happen. But those kind of uh, 
I want to say those kind of uh, things you put in your mind, they're not there anymore. And it's so easy to go to work and come home and then you get credit. Well, no, absolutely. You know, but I remember before the the call, you know, before you went into the commercial, and you talked about people not being able to um, socialize yes. after they paid their debt. And you know, you have A A N A. You got therapy and fellowship meetings and things like that all around the country. And you know that about ninety percent of those people are reentry people. Or people that have been, you know, in prison of some sort, you know, in federal or state prison. But they're allowed and their their probation officers, if they were on paper, have asked them or told them, you must go to these meetings. You no, know, absolutely. so now you, you, you're put in a bad place because you go to meetings. But why can't they meet there and tell each other where they're hiring? Yeah. Or where there's a nice job or where there's a, a sale on pants so you don't know that you can shop cheaper at one place or another because those stores weren't there 20 years ago. I mean, that's definitely true you words, know. Karen. And listen to what I want to do, Karen. We're going to continue the dialogue right now, uh, and I, I want to bring you into this conversation. Malcolm C. Young uh, is our next guest joining us in this conversation, and I, I think the conference, the information, uh, this is informative. This is educational without question. Karen makes a lot of good points uh, but also on the other side, uh, Mr. Young is doing some things, said he got motivated uh, that uh, Mr. Young heard of accounts of returning prisoners who, despite doing everything required of them, were unable to find work. Mm-hmm. And it motivated Malcolm Young to get involved. Mr. Young, are you with us? I'm with you all the way. <laughs> I appreciate you joining us tonight. Joining us also is, is Karen Garrison. Uh, she's been on, on with us since uh, the beginning of the show, telling us some good things. She's she's known as mommy at 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 excuse me activist. Got a little tongue tied there. Doing some great things, trying to educate people on reentry, reaching out, making those sacrifices, Mr. Young. And uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing. What again? I tell us a little bit about what motivated you. How important is reentry? How do we get on the right track from here? Well, that's a lot of ground, so let me try to move real quickly over uh, your introduction. Um, I I got interested in this when I was directing the John Howard Association in Illinois, which was a prison oversight group, and I talked to a lot of people who came out and were looking for work, among other things, and we sent them to all the organizations that were supposed to help them. We gave them a list of places to go. And then people started coming back and telling me that the organizations weren't helping them that much. And and I wasn't pleased with what I heard and I wasn't pleased with what we were doing. So I got interested in how could we help folks. Uh, and then the recession hit. This was about 2008, 2009 in Chicago. And nobody had jobs. Nobody could get work. People were, that's why I said people were walking around looking for work, doing all the right things, People I would have hired if I'd had the money in a minute, uh, nobody could get work. And so the questions that I started to look at were, well, what do you do in a recession economy? What do you do when when, when jobs are down overall? How can you help people who've been in prison get back into the workforce? And the answers that we developed were uh, along the lines of bringing in private enterprise, entrepreneurship uh, was that you mentioned just at the end of the last segment was important and we moved in the direction of urging uh, serious training bring skill levels up not just so that people could come out of prison and get entry-level jobs uh, which is good if you have to do that 
but so people could come out and compete for middle-level jobs and technical jobs because, you know, make use of the time while you're inside, get the training, get build your technical skills, continue that when you come out, get into community college, get work in a higher-paid, uh, more demanding field. Um, and so we promoted that idea, and I can say that the Department of Labor, uh, the Federal Department of Labor, uh, and other government agencies at the time picked up not just not from us but picked up on this and so there's movement in this direction and there was an effort by us and by other people to try to get more serious training more serious schooling more serious uh skills development while people were inside spending all that time not doing too much so they could do better when they came out and compete at a higher level that, so I left that work, and um, I'll just tell you now I'm working in a project that works with federal prisoners coming back who've spent a lot of time in and individually trying to help folks uh, get back, get returned, get integrated back into uh, into uh, uh, the free life. Sure, and uh, we, we commend you um, on what you're doing. Uh, and, again, you and Karen – uh, maybe doing uh, maybe on the opposite sides of the spectrum, but doing the exact same thing, and to bring change. President Obama has been known as a president uh, that has, has set the bar, if you will, uh, in trying to bring change to the criminal justice system in this country. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that, and uh, let me let you hear this clip of what the president is actually attempting to do that has never been done by any former president. As part of his push to overhaul the criminal justice system, President Obama revealed a new plan on Monday, November 2nd, to help ease former prisoners' re-entry into society. As part of the plan, Obama announced $8 million in education grants from the Department of Education, as well as programs to offer technical training. Obama also called on Congress to remove the section on federal job applications, which requires applicants to state if they have a criminal record. Instead, federal job applicants would be asked about their criminal history later in the hiring process, a practice known as banning the box. The Federal Bureau of Prisons announced last month that they would grant early release to about 6,000 inmates. Obama has made criminal justice reform a top priority in his final year in office and became the first sitting president to visit a federal prison this summer. For Newsbeat Social from Washington, D.C., I'm Caitlin Mangum. Well, there you have it. Uh, President Obama doing some things, uh, I'll tell you what, unheard of, at least in the history of this country that I have heard. I'm 47 years of age, uh, and I'll tell you what, I haven't heard of a president taking these type of steps. I want to get your thoughts, Karen, first, and then Malcolm, uh, Mr. Young, I want to get your thoughts. Karen, your thoughts on that, the impact of a sitting president doing these things, something that's in the right direction. I think that that gave a lot of people hope, uh, the family members outside. Because for him to go visit a prison, and anyone that knows and has visited inside the prison knew that, knows that it's not a joy. And if they make him go through the same thing everybody else went through, it's like when you get in there, you take a deep breath because you've made it. But I, I think it was because he put, you know, his feet on the ground to go see for himself. Because if you tell somebody what goes on in prison, it's almost unbelievable unless you've been there. 
you know, and for him to go in there and actually be able to talk to the guys, because those guys are going to talk to him man to man. They don't have anything to lose. You know, they're already in prison and things like that. So they're going to be honest with him. And I think, you know, it's it was really big when he went to prison to to visit. I don't know how many calls I got. And they wanted to know, did I know it? You know, and everybody was excited because he put his, uh, as you say, boots on the ground and went in there to see and hear things for himself. Because, you know, when he comes, they're going to dress and clean that prison up as best they can. But at this point, it got to a a level where he's an African-American going into these prisons where the majority, he's going to go to the level prisons where the majority of the prisoners are African-American. And they can, you know, they can relate to him because they've been watching him from the day he got elected to now. And they know the history of him and they know the the history. If he talks about legislation and stuff, they can talk firsthand because they, you know, they can speak, uh, I want to say, intelligently about these things. And, you know, for him to go in there, like I say again, it was just unbelievable and it was impactful because then they felt like you know they have some hope somewhere not just because he was an african-american president because he was a president and he showed concern on that level not just the paperwork oh genuine concern mr young your thoughts on what the president his steps uh unprecedented in this time your thoughts on, on all that he's attempted to do here in his last year in office well, I think what you just heard from Karen is really important because that's a terrific measure of the impact that this had on, on, on people who needed to hear something hopeful. So I think that's a good place to start. Um, the impact that I'm working with right now is is when, when, uh, when the 6,000 people um, were released, which was in November 2015, uh, it was only in part uh, – by his authority, it was really from the federal system. They were released by because of actions of the United States Sentencing Commission, but the administration supported that. And then the administration and the president signed off on the greatest number of sentencing commutations of any president for total together for the last, what, seven or eight presidents. Um, and so that's had a tremendous impact. He's He's really put himself on the line by saying, you know, these folks – there are folks in there that don't need to be in there. We should look at them. We should start to let them out. And I have an implication. We should start to think about that they didn't really need to be there in the first place. We shouldn't be putting so many people in for so long. And his actions releasing people on clemency and then um, uh, supporting the release with the sentence, with the sentence um, adjustments that the United States Sentencing Commission uh, put in place um, has has had a real impact, a real benefit. I'm working with the people who are coming out under those decisions now, and we're trying to help them get back into uh, productive life and into society, uh, learn to do things like working with cell phones, which you know they're not, they don't have in prison, um, and re, re uh, getting connected back with family and and figure out where they're going to go and start to look forward and look ahead and build a new life. Um, but the president's actions um, up and down the board uh, you know, and his approval of policies that release more prisoners, I think has had a I, – I hope it will have a long-term impact, and I hope it will continue into the next administration. No, absolutely, and the importance we raise that, the importance to get out there and vote, 
uh, your vote matters, ladies and gentlemen of America. Feel free to dial into the conversation, 319-527-6216, 319-527-6216. And, uh, Mr. Young, really quickly, you said this, a lot of this came from the Sentencing Commission uh, that actually looked at sentences that seemed unreasonable. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. They, went, they, they looked at drug sentences, and, you know, uh, I don't know why, how much you've talked about this on the show, but they looked at drug sentences uh, several years ago, decided that uh, they could uh, drop the population, which would help with overcrowding, but that there were a lot of people who didn't need to be in as long as they were originally sentenced, and they lowered uh, the guidelines by two levels, which basically means they cut the length of sentence, made that retroactive, and so people were released because their sentences were modified by uh, judges, judges had to pass on it and approve it, and uh, and thousands have been released uh, ahead of their scheduled release dates as a result. And uh, you know, by by the way, you know, most of them are 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 managing. Most of them are doing very well. We haven't heard of the terrible, serious problems, despite uh, the sort of fear mongering that goes on when these things happen. And just to come back to the administration, it was the administration. Uh, the Justice Department, uh, as well as the judiciary that supported these changes, and they kind of put it on the line, and you have to give them credit for that. Absolutely. And I think uh, one point, and this is something we've been talking about here on ABC Radio, uh, in regards that not only are the drug offenses uh, where people should not be in prison for the outrageous sentences, we're dealing with white-collar crimes of the breadwinner, if you will, that brought the money home and were wrongfully convicted prison right now, uh, we've reached out and made an effort. We're going to be doing a show at the first of the year on white, the injustice of white-collar wrongful convictions and the impact on families uh, in this country. I think as a whole, America has to look. See, reentry to me covers everything that we're discussing tonight. How do we deal with right. people with white-collar crimes who should not be there? They have to come back after being breadwinners and find their way back. And these were men with education, uh, we're making six figures uh, a year. You know what I mean? What do we do to those folks who should not be in jail? That's just a side footnote and an FYI for all of our listeners that this is something we're going to be dealing with. And I believe reentry has that broad brush that you're dealing with right. not only white collar crimes, drug crimes, and and Mr. What Mr. Young is doing and and trying to. I tell you what, I'm, my hats off to uh, the work that you folks are doing. It's, it's absolutely amazing. What we're going to do, Mr. Young and, and Karen going to come back get your closing remarks here if we can of how folks can get a hold of you how can we get involved as a nation uh how can people say you know what i want to be a part of what mr young is doing i want to be a part of what karen is doing uh the mommy activist how do we get involved how do we get you know boots on the ground in your organizations to give that information out to our listeners and let's come together and fight for justice as we seek a better tomorrow for this nation we're coming right back. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Folks, hang on. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, There is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252. 
or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. History is important because it shows where you're coming from and where you're going. Type 2 diabetes is something that runs in my family, which means I'm at risk. In fact, one in three American adults are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And knowing this, if I do nothing, that family history becomes my family's future. And my family is too important to me for that. Take the risk factor assessment today at AskGreenNo.com. Well, welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. And when you hear that music, justice is somewhere trying to be found. And tonight is no exception, as we have had the opportunity to have Karen Garrison and Malcolm Young. I'll tell you, two pioneers in the fight for justice. And our hats are off to them, and we commend them for the work uh, that they are doing. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, Lisa Stewart by remote, Dennis Merritt, and William Williams. And folks, uh, Dennis, I just want you to, these guests are something else. I can't, what do you say to pioneers making a difference on that level? All I can say is awesome. I truly appreciate what they're doing. I mean, it is great. I mean, great work. Uh, somebody's got to go out there and uh, fight and push and, and, and make, our, make inmates understand that, you know, there is hope. You know, after, there is life after prison. And the only way we could do that is that we have to offer programs and, and incentives and stuff like that just to get them motivated enough to understand that, hey, and in all hopelessness, there is hope out there. And there's a way out. And I think when you have people doing what uh, uh, you, Mr. Young, and Karen, what you folks are doing, 
uh, as we come together collectively to make a difference. And uh, uh, let's go ahead. How can the folks get a hold of you? Uh, we'll start with you, Karen. Uh, you've been with us the longest this evening thus far. Uh, how can folks get a hold of you? How can we get involved? You have an ally and a friend already at AJC Radio and uh, a just cause, so we're there. How do we get other people in the community involved and say, look, I need to join Mommy Activist in bringing justice to this situation? How do they reach you? Well, I'm, well, I'm not hard to find. You can always email me at M-O-M-M-I-E-A-C-T-I-V-I-S-T at Gmail, and you can go to my website, mommyactivistandsons.com, and there's also a place where you can email me there at info at mommyactivistandsons.com. But I'm everywhere I can be on social uh, media as uh, Mommy Activist or Karen Garrison on Instagram. I think I used the I-C-E-C-R-E-E. M ice cream 56 because it started out as a is it you know kind of a social thing and it got serious as I knew it would but I'm on there and I get try to get on everything so that I can be able to spread the information that I get because my theme is as I always think to make a difference in a responsible way and you can only make that if you've done your homework and you know educate yourself on the things that are going on and as um as Malcolm mentioned, the Fair Sentencing Act uh, and, um, of 2007 and the cocaine amendments that they had, when they actually did that cocaine amendment, that was a start. So it's like you got your foot in the door and you keep going, you know, but you got to do your homework. As I tell people, don't put your life in any attorney's hands. When you're away, you study to get better, for, uh, better as a person because no one is perfect. You can just do your best. And that's where perfection comes in anyway. So, right. you know, I, and and I and I do appreciate everything that Malcolm does. I'm very familiar with him. And I see on Facebook you have posted the flyer, so I shared it from there. But, you know, we all do work at the levels that we can. Like I say, some people are going to be academic. Some people are going to be practical. But there's a place for you once you – you have to seek it. You have to find it. And there's enough information out on by via Internet and these cell phones that, Malcolm, you know they're not supposed to have them in prison but a lot of people have them, and they're able to get a lot of information in and out. And another thing I don't want to forget, you know, they still have the the world's largest, the United States uh, strike still going on, you know, for okay. the jobs in prison. They want to be paid more. And all and the women and the men's prisons are, both, are, all stri- are still striking for that. And it started on September 9th, okay. uh, the anniversary of Attica. So that's something I do want to mention along with anything else. But I do a radio show because I think that, you know, I put information out. Everybody's welcome to call in, interrupt, and put their stuff in because that's a vehicle for everyone. But I do thank you so much for remembering me and including me on your show. Oh, absolutely. It's always a pleasure to have you, Karen. And uh, I'm sure we're going to do other shows in the future as we get ready to kick 2017 off with the continued fight for justice. Mr. Young, tell the folks how they can get a hold of you. How can we become involved? You also have an ally here at Agency Radio and a Just Cause going forward. And whatever platform you need, we'll definitely give you that here on Agency Radio. Well, thanks so much. And, and, and it's great to be on the share a microphone with Karen. And I, uh, she said a lot of important things in passing, uh, uh, including uh, that uh, folks inside need to be paid more for the work they do and that the work, need, the work has value. Uh, but let me, okay, you can get a hold of us. I think the best way is our website. It's uh, simple. It's not hard to navigate. It's got basic information and a way to contact us. It's projectnewopportunity.org, www.projectnewopportunity.org. Um, 
its opening page uh, has our deputy director, uh, a clip from our deputy director who was a clemency recipient and works hand-in-hand uh, -hand with me serving the people that we, we can help. The website describes who it is we can help. It's a limited number of folks. We focus our resources on those people. And uh, if you're looking for help for someone who's coming out of federal prison, federal prison, then go to the website and see if the person that you care about fits uh, the description and, and get in touch with us. Um, so that's the way to reach us. Uh, what, what I want to wrap up by saying is, is that uh, what we've learned in the work we're doing now is that so much of this work is individual. So you mentioned white collar inmates. Uh, people think, well, that's their special group. They have a lot of money. They have a lot of resources. What we find dealing with folks who've been in prison, particularly for a long time, is many of them, even before they can begin to think about work, employment, even before they can really concentrate on housing and issues like that, they have to deal with post-traumatic stress from incarceration and mm -hmm. and, and wow. psychological and social issues. So we, we, we need help with that. The last thing I want to say is if you're interested in this kind of work, there are a lot of localities that have some really tremendous reentry efforts going. We were just up in Philadelphia where a reentry coalition met for a day. Uh, we met all the folks up there. If you were in that area and many others in the country and you found a local reentry coalition, uh, uh, state corrections, state probation offices are sometimes the leaders, uh, mayors are often the leaders, you can get in touch with those groups and ask what you can do. And if you're an employer, uh, you can learn how you can benefit by hiring people who need work and are going to work harder for you than anybody else you'll be able to hire. All right. Thank you for that, Malcolm. Karen, Malcolm, I'll tell you what, your, your angels in today's society making a difference <laughs> on the nation. We appreciate you so very much. Uh, and, again, whatever we can do, we'll be definitely in contact offline of, about what AJC is doing AJC, and adjust calls in fighting for justice. Uh, and to bring that message uh, to our listeners around the world. Thank you so much. Well, you're doing great work, Thank and it's you. a real pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank we appreciate so much. that. And uh, take care and have a good evening. Good night. Good Thank night. you very much, both of you. Yeah, thank you, Karen. Bye. Bye. All right, and there you have it, folks. I'll tell you what. We talked about advocates for justice, the unseen heroes that are making a difference. On the other side of this break, we're coming back with the, we said earlier, the Jumpstart program under construction, Colorado Springs Township Church. And we're going to get a little bit more into that and the impact and how that started and how that is underway in the future to become a reality. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio bringing the message of justice around the world. We'll be right back. Welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot. But I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he took all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. 
If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. I stand for equality. I stand for individuality. I stand for peace. I stand for diversity. I stand for dignity. I stand for respect. I stand for fairness. Red, yellow, black, white. We're all the same color. When you turn out the light. Welcome back to AJC Radio. I'll tell you what, we're looking for justice in America. And you know what? It's going to take some work and people coming together, Dennis, Cliff, William, Lisa, uh, the only way that's going to happen is really when you look at the work that Karen Garrison and uh, Malcolm Young is doing, that's some big stuff. William, you had some thoughts on that. Well, I was, I was listening to their comments and it really takes someone that is selfless. You know, Karen said that she, because of the situation and circumstance that happened in her life, she ended up becoming a mommy activist. But it's, it's these kinds of people and these kinds of programs that are out there. Unfortunately, they're not that many. But, you know, through, through networking and encouraging of each other, you know, we can grow more and more. And, and just like, the, you know, the the program with Colorado Springs Fellowship that's under construction, you know, that's another avenue that, that others can, can use and we'll take advantage sure. of and give them a platform to vault off of. You know, like you said, it's, it's a hand up, not a handout. And a lot of it is, you know, even as I was, I was thinking, you know, a lot of times we don't consider the fact that, that someone may have earlier in life made a mistake. Now, that's, that doesn't define who they are now. You know what I'm saying? And, and so we need to look at that. We need to look at the fact that these people are today trying to better themselves. And so, you know, I think these programs are absolutely wonderful, and we need more of them. I am. We're going to definitely be pursuing that. Uh, and we talked a little bit, uh, and just to get a little bit into uh, the Jumpstart program that, again, is being uh, – it's a, it's a program that's being put together currently as we speak uh, to be implemented down the road. Uh, in regards to helping reentry, uh, and again, this is done by Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. But I would like to share one letter uh, in regards to the vision of Pastor Rose Banks. Uh, there are a lot of things said uh, that are simply not true about the community outreach. We did a show on it here some time ago uh, of the vision of, of, of Pastor Banks into impacting the lives. Uh, of those that need it. And I'll tell you what, reentry is one of those passions. And I want to read a letter written by Chaplain Cliff Raleigh uh, when Pastor Banks was actually involved in ministering uh, at the USP, Florence uh, Prison USP uh, in Colorado. And this had an impact on this chaplain as far as the work and the vision uh, of Pastor Banks. And it reads this, Dear Pastor Rose, This is a letter of appreciation for the ministry you provided to the USP in Florence, Colorado, when I serve as the senior chaplain there. 
It was my privilege to recruit you and the members of your choir to become volunteers of the federal prison system. From June 30th, 2000 until my retirement in June of 2001, I supervised your ministry at the USP when you came each month to hold a service in the chapel with your choir. The impact of your sermons was always positive, constructive, and challenging to the inmates. The chapel was packed with men of all races and religious backgrounds when you came to hold a service. The dedication and sincerity of your church members to come as servants of God into the prison created a relationship of deep respect from the inmates. The influence of the sermon and the choir presentation each worship service was a positive benefit to the reduction of violence. You always were diligent to abide by every USP rule for volunteers. You were consistently careful to get permission from the prison authorities for any proposals such as the giving of Bibles or Christmas cards to the inmates. You conducted yourself with integrity and honesty in all matters with the chaplains and the warden. You have my highest recommendation for prison ministry wherever the Lord leads you and your church to reach out with your message of hope and repentance. I hold your ministry in high regard. As senior chaplain, my trust placed in your ministry was never disappointed. I consider recruiting you as a volunteer one of the highlights of my 24 years of prison ministry. Anyone watch, wanting to contact me may call, et cetera, et cetera. God bless Chaplain Cliff Raleigh. Wow. I'll tell you what, that gives you chills. And we say that and we read that letter tonight, Cliff, in regard to Pastor Banks, her vision. Uh, I'll tell you what, a prime example of how a program and from that type of uh, what do you call accolade or recommendation or impact? He said the messages that were brought there by Pastor Banks reduced violence in a federal penitentiary. I don't think nobody understands that. That same vision, that same passion, that same dedication goes into the beginning of Jumpstart Reentry Program. And Cliff, when you hear a chaplain, he said in 24 years, it was the highlight of his career. That speaks so many volumes in so many ways. Yes, it does. I mean, it 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 tells, um, you know, two things. Obviously, uh, his his words of um, appreciation, but then it also tells um, the the some that some of the the programs that are in the prison system. Uh, how they don't have that impact, and how the men are that the men who are incarcerated there, how much they need people who genuinely care, uh, how much they need a message that says there is hope. Um, you know, while you're still in here, I, I remember being a, pro, a part of that program, and some of the men that came, uh, you know, men of, of all races, and 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 as you know, my it's very difficult to get different races. Uh, you know, to come together in a room. I mean, if you're in general population, uh, it, it's sad, but it's it, you typically have the races stick together. Right. To have them come in the room and uh, and the uh, the level of respect that they have for for Pastor Banks, where she eventually got these men to to hold hands, hold hands, and and pray together. Which, I mean, not a person who wasn't there, a person who doesn't understand the dynamic of uh, race relations in the prison system. That is a phenomenal accomplishment to be able to get that done. But as Chaplain Raleigh said, that the the presence of the Colorado Springs Fellowship program there helped to 
you know, to turn away violence. That these men felt like I have something well, more. I, I can get my respect somewhere else than being violent against another another human being. And and to be able to do that, that that is why Chaplain Raleigh says, you know, it, it has impacted me, and I'll remember it as one of the most impactful things of my 25 year career, because. There are not that many things that can get men to turn from violence in a in a system where they feel like they're in a pressure. Well, and going in, this goes into again the jumpstart program that is uh, going to be in the in the future that they are working to put together at the vision of Pastor Banks. And I like what I read here. Jumpstart realizes that significant effort must go into preparing someone to return to normal life outside of prison. There are many routines in life that people take for granted. But when an individual has been removed from society and their daily routine disrupted, for even as little as six months, there should be programs available to help reintroduce them to society. Jumpstart will work closely with program participants in these following areas. Establishing a spiritual foundation, uh, establishing a positive church worship affiliation experience, parenting, relationship counseling, recognizing self-worth, Validation as a person. These are things, Dennis, that are important. Your thoughts on that? They're very important. I mean, if you if you if someone knows that there's hope, there's a possibility that they could get out and uh, start start a new life, start a new beginning, and start all over and have nothing against them. I mean, you can't do better than that. And I think what this program will bring is truly hope. You know, to let let the inmates know that hey. There's somebody out here fighting for you. There's somebody out here believing you that, uh, yeah, you made a mistake, but uh, surely, you know, we're not going to hold that against you. We're going to take your hand and, and walk you through this process and help you to get back on your feet. And I think one good point here, it says forgiving others. There's a lot of people that have been done so wrong. The Jumpstart program, you have to forgive others and able to move on. Basic life skills, goal setting. Uh, down to the simple things as much as quick as I me mean, balancing a checkbook, money management, work ethics, job skills. All of these things are life trending. Stay, continue, uh, stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, uh, in regards to the Jumpstart program. We're going to keep you updated as that program, when it rolls out, uh, we will let you know. But we come in, Pastor Banks, Colorado Swing Fellowship Church, and all those that are doing things to bring reentry back uh, to this country. Uh, and to inmates that need a way out. And Dennis, you couldn't have said it better. Take the hopelessness away and give hope. And when you do that, and it seems like this program, as well as many others, are trying to get this objective done. We want to give a very special thanks uh, to Malcolm Young, Karen Garrison, our special guest, as we have talked tonight, reentry in America, the importance of remembering those that have lost their way. Right now, we turn our attention to what you didn't know about the IRP-6. That starts right now. But just cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Serrigan about the RP6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, 
my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just an aside, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us until these unbelievable events unfolded. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we live, prayed, and worked together that we should end up dying together, because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am Kendrick Barnes, and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions, the name of our company. I testify. And then Gary objected. A Donnybrook broke out because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind, and we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time, some 200 pages, but assured us they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper, and I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. This time, they only called one witness an FBI agent. And the old adage that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich was proven. This is a production that sets the bar and takes a sincere look at the RP6 story. Judge H. Lee Serkin, retired federal judge, felt compelled to say something. We will not remain silent to see the full story, the full playwright of the RP6 tragedy Go to YouTube, search the race card. You don't want to miss it. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. Strange. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? Mm. And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the RP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, uh, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news Every week, you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen, 
that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to sentence. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare, crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org. Sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. What you didn't know about the RP6 starts now. Who are the RP6? They are not a fictional character. They are real men that have suffered injustice by our criminal justice system. Who are they? Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. And tonight we focus on one very important issue. You wonder how injustice could continue behind the wall. Tonight we deal with that subject that the injustice continues even after incarceration for the RP6. The violation of religious right, the violation of not allowing them to hug their loved ones in a visitation room for some bogus reason, though it was allowed for four years in a row. The targeting of these men, the attempt, for all we know, of harm to be brought to these men as they were attempted, at least, to be transferred from the institution without authorization. What do we call this? We call this the injustice that continues behind the wall. And tonight we deal with that issue as the RP6, who are known as model inmates at their institution, continue to be the target of harassment and the target of inappropriate actions by the Florence prison camp there in Florence, Colorado. And Cliff, when we get into this discussion, we're not talking about an isolated incident of harassment and violation of rights of these six men, but then to extend that even to their family members to suffer this type of injustice as a result of this vehement uh, targeting and hate towards these men are just, is just unacceptable and cannot be tolerated. Yeah, I mean, it just, it just continues and continues every time you look up. Uh, there's some other violation of their uh, of their civil civil liberties, their religious rights, uh, and you know what it makes you think that if I mean because we're fighting for those rights uh, and and the fact that they would be extended to all the inmates there at that facility and throughout the federal bureau of prisons, but when you think about the people who don't have anyone fighting for them on the outside, that all they can do is uh, you know kind of be subjected to the abuse that's going on uh, by the prison system, sometimes, you know, by the uh, corrections officers, by members of the staff, but all the way up to the ward that you look and you see like, I mean, we said it several times on the show that it is a 
you know, this is kind of the culture that the warden allows to happen, that abuse happens at the lower level. And if the warden ensures that, uh, you know, things are happening properly, then it doesn't trickle down. But when you have the person at the top that's supposed to be leading these people, that's supposed to be ensuring the rights of the inmates. I mean, a federal prison is not just a place for punishment. That's the that's the initial part of it. But it's supposed to be, you know, a place for uh, where people can uh, rehabilitate, where they can learn. But above all else, you know, while they're in there to be protected, that, you know, they're they're under the jurisdiction of other people under of the system, they're supposed to be protected. Their uh, especially their religious rights and their civil rights are supposed to be, uh, you know, upheld. But too many times we see in the in the Bureau of Prisons and at the state level that that does not happen. And we definitely see it here in the IRP six case that time after time we have to continue to fight and uh, go to the regional office, go to the federal office, say, look, just these basic human rights right. are being violated by the staff there at Florence uh, Prison Camp. And it, it, it's totally ridiculous, uh, and it, sh- it uh, should not be. Yes, and, and you know, when you when you got family members, you know, uh, visiting and then they're being uh, targeted, I mean, it's just, uh, it's out of control. I mean, you know, the prison, don't, like uh, Cliff was saying, you know, yes, you got, you're in prison for a reason, but you know, I don't mean that your 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 civil liberties, your your religious rights, uh, uh, can be taken just because somebody you know got something against you. And I mean, what do they have against the IRP six? That that's that's just blows my mind. But yet, uh, they treat them, they, they don't treat them with respect, and, and and they try to do everything they can to make their life as miserable as possible. And that has to stop. Well, I, I think Cliff brought up a good point as well. I mean, when it comes down. You know, from the warden down, this this behavior. You know, I'm saying this is how you treat people, and they, and they don't treat them right. They don't treat them with any kind of respect. And one the one little thing that they you know to give them hope is visitation from their families and loved ones. You know, and when they can't enjoy that, just for that time on on Saturdays or you know on Sunday or whenever, you know, you take that away from them. You know, it's all it's it's all in my opinion, it's all an effort to take away their hope. And it's all an effort to tear down these guys. I mean, these guys don't belong there, number one. And so they have that on their mind. And then when you try to take away their family, just greeting each other and and being able to hug and embrace visitors and say, you know what, I'm glad to see you. Thank you so much for coming. And, and, you know, it's it's just these little things, these little things that they – that the prison system and the the ones in Florence – uh, are using these tactics, you know, to uh, to really, you know, uh, make their stay even harder, and it, it is it's terrible. No, absolutely, and uh, I'll tell you what, we're going to definitely deal with these issues and address these issues. Uh, the RP6, ladies and gentlemen, go to change.org tonight if you get a minute tomorrow. Change.org, search IRP6, sign our petition as we continue to seek justice. For these men, asking President Obama to grant clemency to these six men have no business uh, locked up or incarcerated on any level. Uh, their names, again, Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. And I'll tell you what, folks, we're going to say tonight, AJC Radio and the Just Cause will continue to seek to bring the message of justice all around the world. We wish you the very best. Happy holidays as November is days away. We ask you to be safe. Remember to go out and vote. It is critical. 
as the balance of a stable nation hangs in the balance. We'll see you next time here on Agency Radio. Happy holidays. We'll see you January 2017. Good night, America. I'm taking action to ban the box for for uh, for the most competitive jobs at federal agencies. Now, federal government is a big employer, as you know, and like a lot of big employers, on many job applications, there's a box that asks if you have a criminal record. If you answer yes then a lot of times you're not getting a call back. We're going to do our part in changing this. The federal government, I believe, should not use criminal history to screen out applicants before we even look at their qualifications. We we can't dismiss people out of hand simply because of a mistake that they made in the past. And I have to say that, although this is something that I can do on an executive basis, this is an area where Cory Booker, working with one of his Republican colleagues, Ron Johnson, uh, are working to try to pass federal legislation, uh, a ban-the-box bill that's working its way through the Senate. I believe Congress should pass legislation that builds on today's announcement. And keep in mind, some really good, really successful companies are already doing this. Walmart, Target, Coke Industries, Home Depot, They've already taken action to ban the box on their own. And 19 states have done the same. So my hope is, is that with the federal government also taking action, us getting legislation passed, this becomes a basic uh, principle across our society. It is relevant to find out whether somebody has a criminal record. We're not suggesting ignore it. What we are suggesting is, when it comes to the application, give folks a chance to get through the door. Give them a chance to get in there so that they can make their case. Now, this is not just uh, the only step that we can take. Uh, Just two weeks ago, uh, Corey, other Democrats and Republicans, moved uh, through the Senate a bipartisan criminal justice reform bill. There's a bill that would reduce mandatory minimums for nonviolent offenders. It would invest in law enforcement. It would reward prisoners with time off if they complete programs that make it less likely that they will commit crimes in the future. And there's a similar bill working its way through the House. I urgently encourage uh, both the Senate and the House to pass these bills. It will not completely change the system overnight, but it will lock in some basic principles that we understand are going to make us uh, a fairer and safer society over the long term. And I am very proud of the work that uh, those legislators are doing. I'm especially proud because it's not typical that Democrats and Republicans get together on useful legislation. I, let's face it. Uh, but, uh, but this is an area where we've seen some really strong bipartisan uh, work and, and, and I'm very encouraged by this. Um, there are so many Americans who desperately want to earn it. I already mentioned Daryl and Ashley. Uh, I, I'm going to call out one other person. Uh, 
Daquan Rosario. Uh, where's Daquan? He's looking very sharp in his suit today. Where's Daquan? And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Well, there's one minor thing we forgot to say, and that is happy birthday to Janelle Golden. It is her birthday today. She's part of our AJ Super team. Uh, also, a happy birthday, since we won't be here, to Dustin Jackson, uh, one of, uh, another major player in our team. Ladies and gentlemen, have a safe holiday. Stay safe, and we'll see you next year. Take care. 2017, around the corner. Remember to vote. We'll see you next time.